not the Obi-Wanification of Wreath Silas. Ram, be careful. <laughs> I don't want you to become Anakin. Start your sublight engines. It's time for RuPalp's Pod Race, a queer Star Wars podcast. Welcome back to another week of chaos with a very special guest in honor of the recent release of Midnight Horizon. Uh, just a heads up, there are going to be major spoilers for the novel and for all of the High Republic Phase 1 in this week's episode. Um, my name is Mel. I use they, them pronouns. You can find me on social media at Melvin Culpa, and my gender this week is Comac Vitus running into the woods. <laughs> it's like in Twilight. I think about him all the time. Wreath <laughs> Silas doing the, the sequence in New Moon where Bella's on the chair. Yeah. 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 Well, my name is Ollie. Um, I use any pronouns. You can find me on social media at Ollie Fresh, and that's fresh with a PH. And my gender this week is Master Torben. Why in the stars would someone pick a dramatic new nickname for himself? Fuck. <laughs> I love that part of the book so much. I've forgotten about that part. I'm glad y'all appreciated it. <laughs> I, I'm also, I'm just a Torben Buck stand through and through. <laughs> he is my world. Hi, my name is Claudia. Um, my pronouns are she, her. You can find me on social media at Claudia says, K-A-L-U-D-I-A says. My gender this week is uh, Cantum Alexa Play Circus by Brittany Sai. I love them so much. It's just, I'm, I'm literally obsessed with them. I think about them all the time. Anyway, I'm Jess. My pronouns are they, them. You can find me on TikTok and Twitter at Kawaii Jessio. And my gender this week is rich people having no sense of awareness as they hold a Nihil-themed masquerade party. I'm Noah. My pronouns are he, him. You can find me on all social media at the Jewish Jedi. And my gender this week is the infinity warification of Pribal because the poor guy did get turned to dust. No. That really was do. so there's, sad. There's, apparently there's Pribal truthers out there who are like, no, no, absolutely. Was that, was that one of you? Someone no. <laughs> I have had conversations with other people about if if he is alive or not, though, I do believe over at Fulcrum Transmissions, we had a conversation about... <laughs> I was, there was another podcast I was listening to yesterday. Not that I listen to podcasts about my own work a lot. But um, <laughs> there was one where they, they were talking about, like, maybe, maybe there was no body. <laughs> there was no body because he turned to dust. <laughs> I like the mollification of Pribold. <laughs> it's more the, uh, the idea of, like, there wasn't a body. Horrible news. He did combust. <laughs> like, there's a reason there isn't to one. The sun. It, it was. It's more like the loadification of Primal. No, <laughs> crash. I don't feel so good. But anyway, my name is Daniel Jose Older. My pronouns are he, him. I'm on Twitter at, at DJ Older. I'm on Instagram at, at Daniel Jose One, and I'm on TikTok at, at Daniel Jose Older. And my website is DanielJoseOlder.net. My gender is too fried in the brain to have a gender, and that's valid. That's of you. fine. So valid. <laughs> so true. You're validated in my gender. <laughs> well, gender well affirmed. <laughs> Um, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for being on. Um, Great to be here. I am genuinely like so excited that you're here. Um, <laughs> and I guess we're going to get into our little little interview. Um, I wanted to start with something kind of like easy um, and just ask you, like, what is your experience with Star Wars? Uh, do you have a favorite piece of Star Wars media? Mm, I think it's still Return of the Jedi after all these years. That was my number one entrance point at three years old with my first movie in the movie theater period. And um, it just, it really changed me. Like, it's like, I've said it so many times at this point, it's just still true. Like, I just still adore that movie and worship it. And like, it pops up in all of my work, whether it's Star Wars or not. So it really does all go back to that for me. I really love just a lot of different stuff in Star Wars, like throughout 
um, recent and old, but I think that's number one. Who would you say influenced your writing style? Like, was there anything outside of Star Wars that influenced this book as well? Um, absolutely. Where to begin? So many. Um, the, the number one writing inspiration I always come back to is Octavia Butler. Um, she was one of the great sci-fi fantasy writers for sure of all time. And she really like, oof, man, she, I, I had a seventh grade English teacher give me one of her books randomly before I knew I wanted to be a writer. And certainly before I knew I wanted to be a writer that would like bring more people of color into sci-fi. Um, and that always felt like this little magic gift that I just didn't you know, realize I was getting at the time. I read it and it blew my mind. It was a blood child, a short story collection, but I didn't get it, you know? And it was like 10 years later, I think almost, where I, I, after leaving fantasy because I wasn't in there and being kind of disgusted with it and then coming back around um, and when I left fantasy, I was really trying to find books that would tell me the truth because it felt like fantasy fiction wasn't doing that, you know. Um, so I was reading like Baldwin and Bell Hooks and, you know, just like theorists and historians and everything. And then um, I kind of came back around a little bit because my roommate was um, obsessed with Harry Potter. Ooh. And I was like, uh, you know, I, I did really love the books. Um, I did pick them up and I was like, oh, this is really cozy and fun, but it's still a white dude saving the world. Like, and it's still like, people of color in like the barest, most barely there kind of ways, like a not even a real love interest, like a blow off love interest, you know? And like, that sucked. So I found that really disappointing and I found that the mythology to be really just like this rehashing the same European you know, mythos that we've been doing for so long. And, and then it was Octavia Butler, some kids I was working with at, at a, a, a summer camp kind of thing in Bushwick were reading Octavia Butler. And I was like, oh, that's the one my English teacher gave me. So I picked it back up. And I read everything by her. And I don't really usually read everything by any one writer, but with Butler, I read everything. And it just really rocked my world just to realize like how deeply you can talk about power and you know just these complex conversations, interpersonal and um, societal and everything, cultural, everything else, and still tell a really riveting sci-fi story with, that really like puts you into the world and changes the world. And that really like cracked it open for me. So everything kind of goes back to her. I will say that like, not to not to get corny uh, on me. Um, <laughs> I, wrote, like, I wrote Midnight Horizon. Like, <laughs> you can get corny. Please listen. Reading that book, like I truly, with with the the main characters of color, because the majority of the cast are people of color. Mm -hmm. um, I think Wreath is our <laughs> shout out to our one white boy. <laughs> <laughs> the little the token. The, we He's have our a, token, fight, right? Yeah, it's true. Diversity. <laughs> Um, the unproblematic fave. Unproblematic fave. Um, Diversity win. Reef is white. <laughs> um, he's also the token straight. He's I the think. token straight. Like, I, I like a, isn't he the straight on thin ice, according to the, the chart? Yeah, that's I exactly like, his place. Right. I like when Vern was like, oh, yeah, Reef, he's white, like my master Stellan. <laughs> I forgot about that in Out of the Shadows. Um, but I will say that, like, it was very refreshing to, like, have this book where these characters got to explore, like, pretty, some pr pretty real stuff um, and, like, also get to be part of this universe. Um, mm -hmm. Sci-fi is not, not it doesn't have a great uh, track record. Trash. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of, like, having these complex... Mm -hmm. people of color let alone queer people of color quantum mm -hmm. side truly like is mm -hmm. bounds bounds away um from from the average character that you see in one of these books and so like mm -hmm. just getting their perspective 
was so refreshing and so exciting. Um, I'm sorry I'm just gushing at you. Totally, you don't have to apologize to gush. It's quite all right. I enjoy every second of it. Yeah, I think also something you mentioned is like the concept of power. And I think a lot of people look at sci-fi and say, oh, it's like, it's about power, like the force, but there's also (laughs) a level of power that is not a supernatural or not a like, like fantasy thing. Like there is a power within. And I think that the force is a conduit for that. But I think like, there's a lot of stuff in this book, especially with people who are non-force sensitive. You see it a lot with Crash where she's trying to be like, oh, I need to reconcile how much power I have over situations. So I think there's something really interesting about power, also power as a community, which is something Reith talks a lot about. So I think there's a lot of really interesting themes surrounding one's own power and community power. Absolutely. I'm glad you picked up on that and brought it up because that is really important. And and along with the exactly that conversation about force and what that means, but also the societal powers that are at play that Crash is really hyper aware of because she is A, you know, not rich and B, deals with rich people a lot, you know, and deals with those societal stresses and what that means is kind of an interloper amidst all these different layers of society. And like, ultimately, what it comes down to for me, what the, I think the lesson of that Octavia Butler taught so many of us is that, you know, power is like really interesting. Like, it's like a really, it makes for good literature. And I think the opposite is we've been told, society has very often told us the opposite. And like lit bros have often told us the opposite. And, all, you know, the, the idea is like, you don't want to talk too much about power. It gets boring or didactic. Power is fascinating. It is so complex, so nuanced. And if you really enter into that conversation, and we all experience it in so many different ways. So it's not like this elite conversation that people are having. It's, you know, it's the opposite, really. It's conversation that people with a lot of power don't want us to have because that's when it gets uncomfortable for them. Star Wars to me is at its best when it's political. Like all science fiction and fantasy, it's most interesting when it approaches thematic ideas that affect the real world and commentate on it, which is really interesting to me because when a lot of dude bros are like, I don't want Star Wars to be political. I'm like, horrible news. I would like it everywhere. Um, I, we're going to get into this a little bit later about like Jedi ideology, but there was a quote in Midnight Horizon that went something to the effect of like the Jedi's belief in peace was quickly becoming a methodology for defeat. And it's one of my favorite lines in anything ever, because it's really interesting to approach the concepts of like, what is the role of violence versus nonviolence? How do we deal with that? How do we approach that in terms of wealth and in terms of class? Uh, and those were themes that. I was not necessarily expecting out of a Star Wars book, but I was beyond thrilled to see there. Uh, And you mentioned, you know, all this like classic sci-fi that inspired you. And I think that's really prevalent too in the the way that you write science fiction, like not Mel, like Mel, not to like gush at you for a second, but like the environment you create has a very old sci-fi feel to it, which Mm -hmm. I really appreciated because I also was, I grew up on like the original Star Trek series. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I I get this energy. I was never, I did watch Star Trek, but I was never a big fan, but I do think it's all, everything you kind of take in, it's kind of spat back out, you know, when you start writing, certainly. But that's great to hear. Thank you. I feel like we talked, we talked a lot, we've been talking a lot about power when we first started this podcast, because we were talking about the Bad Batch was, which is very focused on a period of time of transition and about mm-hmm. like the establishment of fascism right and so it was just interesting to see another another time period and 
the cool thing about the High Republic for me is that we see the same events from different um, points of view over and over. And in this case, we so- we're almost seeing it on a micro level um, in one city from a couple different groups of people. Right. Um, and that's that is just something that I personally love very much uh, that when when you do uh, the, the bottle episodification of science fiction um, and um, at case in point like my favorite episode of Doctor Who is that one where they're stuck on the stuck on the plane um, but uh, it's it's just interesting because you can you can just you can see the same uh, concepts that are much larger in Star Wars uh, even in a like just one place Mm -hmm. um and it's um i found it very interesting and i liked how you were also able to weave in characters that felt very um real is not the right word but they felt like living and breathing people Mm -hmm. um i often feel like in star wars but in a lot of genre stuff in general you have you have characters that when you're dealing with higher concepts or whatever like sometimes they don't aren't don't have the time to to feel like real people and um it it really it reminded me very much of probably my favorite piece of media of all time which is full metal alchemist um which they're all gonna yell at me for mentioning this (laughs) because i mentioned instantly but it's the the thing that i love about that show um and the manga whatever is a very similar thing of that it's dealing with huge societal problems constantly and like a amount of plot and a crazy amount of characters um but then it's it but then the people feel real there's moments of comedy and the wit and it switches back and forth a lot um and so that that tone and the way that you built the characters with um those i just loved it very much and that's why it's my joker (laughs) no that's great to hear i love that show too actually and and it it does and it's not one that i thought consciously back to but i watched it at a point when i was really like becoming a writer you know and so it did definitely, and I remember watching it be like, this is one of the greatest YA stories we have out there. Like, that's really what it is. And it is, and it does its job really well, exactly because of that. It's connecting the very personal and the very political in like gigantic and epic ways. It has that huge cast. Like, was it you that was, someone on Twitter was saying that uh, Ram and Reed's dynamic reminded them of the brothers. That, that was me. Yeah, that was Claudia. That was me. I, I remember it's the other day, me. I was like, someone said that to me and I can't remember who. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. You know, I'm sure, again, like, I'm sure it's in there because I wasn't consciously pulling from it, but it's a, it's like a really major piece of literature, I think. Well, we've been talking about like parallels with outside media, but obviously Star Wars fans like to pull parallels within Star Wars a lot of times. And most of the time they're not on purpose. Um, you know, the, it's like poetry, it rhymes kind of moments. Yeah. Um but were there any deliberate references or parallels or ones that you realized later? Um, or were there any um, other Star Wars like characters or plot lines that inspired ones in this book that you were like, you know, I really <clears throat> like that thing. I like exploring that thing. Right. Um, but, I, you know, I'm not di- I'm not directly working with that character or something. Definitely. Um, uh, in terms of like actual like factual Easter eggs, I the most of them are from uh, Most Wanted, which I read in preparation for this book, knowing I'd be writing about Corellia. And I was like, what can I pull that would still be around, you know, 150, 250 years earlier, 200 years earlier, whatever. Um, so that's why we have like Paolo, you know, who's like such an iconic character from that book. And I really wanted to like get into his backstory. So I emailed um, Ray and I was like, did you have anything planned for Paolo's backstory? 
And she was like, I just, you know, she just said she, she, uh, she knew that he was, because the, the species isn't given, um, but she knew she wanted him to be a Carabash. What are they called? The guy from uh, Rebels. Uh, a yeah, he's yeah. That's what he is, and that's what she was. <laughs> Sorry, like. everyone waiting for me to answer because that is one of my favorite Star Wars characters of all time. Oh yeah, he's yes, Zeb. Yes, he's amazing. Um, I'm just not good with names. He'll forgive me. But she, so that's why he's that because I asked her, and and she was like, I really didn't have anything planned because you know you don't want to step on another writer's feet. So I just wanted to kind of check in, and she was like, No, go to town, you know. So I just dropped him in real quick as like the one of the bodyguards you know but um just stuff like that there's little names pulled from there they're kind of like you, you can work out that they must have gone on to become prominent you know city fathers or whatever um beyond that i think like thematically there's a lot of star wars stuff i will say it wasn't totally conscious but i do think that like crash would be friends with afra you know if they were to have been having i can see that time period you know what i mean and, like they're both extremely chaotic and just really struggle with intimacy in very similar ways. Uh, hopefully they don't feel like they were cribbed from one another <laughs> or that I cribbed anything from Afra. But, um, but you know, it works out really well being who Crash is based on and everything else. So I think it just kind of works. Like they, they would just all be friends. They'd be very chaotic and probably lovers and it wouldn't go well and you know, everything would, whatever, but it would make for great stories. So when can we expect that book to come out? I'm just, I'm just wondering. if I Crash would be myself. well dead by the time Afra is born. <laughs> well, it's Listen. actually crazy. I heard Crash went through the world between worlds. I don't uh, know if there's uh, any uh, truth to that. that. <laughs> uh, Black, Black or Satan could be alive and he was That's friends true. with both of them. You know. If he was ever a silverback Wookiee in his past, and you know, who knows? Because I was going to say, you see the same eyes in different people. Um, yeah, so speaking of kind of those interconnections, obviously there's a lot of parts that you have dealt with like in canon before, like for Last Shot, mm -hmm. but what was it like writing and like working in the playground that is Corellia? Like, did you get to choose how much of the world you were going to build? And like, was it easier because you had an established planet that already had lore behind it? Yeah, kind of. It, it, it was, I had a lot of freedom. I had like complete freedom, basically. I just had a meeting with Pablo and some other folks who are you know, I, I was just kind of like, all right, Corellia, what's up? And they were like, well, it's, you know, it's the high point, just like the rest of the galaxy. You know, think about like Detroit in its high point, and that's pretty much what you got. So run wild. And I was like, run wild? Like, really? Oh, okay. You know, so I did, you know, and that, that's like, that's a great thing to say to a, I'm a writer who loves world building, you know, and loves lore and mythology and politics and everything else. So that was basically just permission. I mean, there was there's nothing else in development to my knowledge to, uh, around that area, around on that planet in this time period. So there's no reason to kind of be really, really careful. Um, so it was just like, all right, you know, take the Corellia we know from Solo and add a lot more lights and a lot more life. And that's kind of where we're going to go with it. And that requires a lot of world building as it happens. So it really just let me, you know, both pull what I what I needed for the story to work because I needed a very vibrant political scene for things to like for crashes sort of like know how to matter. She had to be able to work the inner, you know, kind of like machinery of it all. So there had to be a machinery for her to work. Um, so that's where all that came from. But also like it happened to be my happy place, which is figuring out little annoying local politics and bureaucracy and bullshit, which is what they were all dealing with, you know, and like having a, a high society that involved giant underground worms. You know what I mean? Like that's 
that's all you need. So I did really cut loose. I think the last detail was, and I knew it writing the book, but I was so, I wrote it in such a flurry of activity that I just couldn't stop and like figure out this last piece. So it came sort of late in the game, but it was the music angle, which I love, it's really important. And, and I always write music. Like it's something that's in literally every book that I've ever written, uh, which is why I was odd that it wasn't in this. <laughs> it's great that it got in there, but Sfino and her family, you know, being like a prominent Karelian music, like local icons basically that become an, an become intergalactic stars. Um, she was a star in the draft that I turned in, but we never got a really ch a chance to really understand what her music was. And I was like, oh, this is a great opportunity to like build it in there now that the book is written and I can chill a little bit and just like concentrate on that, which is where Galang Kalank comes from and like just giving that some lore and, and history. I can't remember who the POV, the POV character is when we see this, but when they're describing her and her family performing I was like entranced I read that like through, I reread that like five oh, times thank you. but that's great I thought it was the idea of her voice sounding like it's rippling like through water is just so cool um but the other thing I think too for me is I'm not really someone who cares a lot about like planets themselves because I think a lot of the times in Star Wars they will say like here's a planet you should care about but then don't tell me why I should care about it right. but I felt like uh, this planet felt so vibrant and you could tell you had a lot of fun with like the little details and some of the local stuff. Cause I genuinely at the end of this book was like, okay, yeah. I want to know more. Like I want to get back into it. Like, I'm like, I need to reread things that have Corelli in them. Cause now I'm just, I'm back into it. So I thought that was like a really, really nice touch. Good, good, good. That was my plan. I'm pretty sure at the end, um, Crash's mom's house. Is that not where, Kira? Um, Kira, yeah, Kira. Is that not where she is from? But just, you know, it is where she's from. not yeah. terrible. But right, but 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 not swamps anymore. I, I love the idea of it, you know, cities change, right? And, and it's important to see that, get a sense of that change and, and, you know, and having different characters come from the same place when it looks totally different. Such a cool opportunity to do that when you're telling stories that span literally centuries, right? I, yeah. I'm, obs I'm obsessed with the idea of um, Han Solo canonically from Space Detroit. I'm obsessed with that. Um, and the whole time I was like, I, I I love this. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I liked it a lot because um, I feel like sometimes in Star Wars, things feel like they popped out of nowhere. So like, it was nice to feel like one thing I like about all the High Republic, but specifically about this was that like, it feels like it's been around longer. So it feels more concrete almost, which I appreciate. And also like, Solo is a movie. Um, but I really like found my way to love Corellia over the course of this book, which was uh, very fun because I was not anticipating that at all. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. On the note of the whole book itself, um, one of the things that I literally could not stop thinking about as I was reading was that the way that these Jedi approached their relationships, both interpersonal and romantic, was really interesting, but also fundamentally different from almost everything else in Star Wars. Um, and I guess I was wondering, like, was were these themes that you had always wanted to explore with these characters? Was this like a thing? I know you mentioned on the Fulcrum pod that like Lula and Zine had been a goal for a long time, but um, like getting character development with Cantum and Comac and Wreath and like seeing how they deal with their relationships and the force, was that something you'd always wanted to explore? And like, how did you conceptualize that? Uh, yeah, I think all of us went into this being like, all right, so, you know, we're in a, a more free time for the Jedi, not just like, free in the sense of like, as a whole, the order has a different take, but 
more in that like every Jedi within the order has the freedom to have very different understandings of the force, you know? And I think we see that best in Comac and Canton's friendship and, and the different ways that they perceive tragedy and love around them. Um, but you're right, it's throughout. And it, it, it is a conversation I've always wanted to have um, because it, it's so intriguing, right? Like you have this order of these warrior, it's almost like there's contradictions at the heart of it, but, but that's not a bad thing. Like, and I think there are really interesting ways to deal with it. And then just as someone who's like meditated and, and studied lots of different traditions on meditation and, and on the idea of being present, you know, I think like, and then just as a, you know, as a person who loves people, like these are all things that we all struggle with. It's not just Jedi. Like we all have to figure out how to love and let go. We all have to figure out, you know, how to be present in this moment right in front of us, like whether we're actively studying that or not. And so I think the Jedi are just a very heightened example of that because they live by a particular code that demands that of them. And what does that mean? You know, to take to make that commitment in your life, but also to be a part of the world. Right. I think we have an idea of monks very often as like just being separated from the world and disappearing into a, a monastery. But these are people who are very involved in the world, whether it's diplomatically or as warriors or as peacekeepers or whatever you know it may be. And so they're so that sets them aside as like having to struggle in a very particular way with all those concepts. Because once you're in the world, you're gonna fall in love, right? You're gonna be at war because it's a world at war, and that's what that's what it means. So that creates, on the one hand, great tension and opportunities. You know, as a writer, that's just a great way to have tension. But I think also like. And this is something cool, you know, that the Fulcrum folks were talking about that I appreciate is that like, we also get to see like healthy relationships, <laughs> just not often a thing. And I think sometimes there's like a writer need to just like grab every possible opportunity of tension and shove it into the book, regardless, you know, just because that's good writing and, you know, the tension is good. Tension is good, but you don't have to have it everywhere, you know? And I do think it's really important to show like people being healthy in different ways in their relationships and like model that. I don't think a book should be like a how-to guide on a relationship, not a, not a fiction book, but um, I think it's really great to be able to have these moments to show friendships. I'm like, what does a healthy friendship look like in the midst of war and other forms of tension, you know? So like, what does a healthy mentor-mentee relationship look like? God knows we need some examples of it in Star Wars because like, there's so many like really terrible relationships between, you know, master and apprentice that are like, oh no. Um, and I, I just think it's all good to explore, right? And that's not a critique. That's like, you know, that's why, that's what that, that's the engine that drives so much of the prequels and it should because it's the downfall, right? So what does it look like when it's not the downfall? That, that was really a question in front of us. So it's natural that we're all, Kind of wrestling with it right and what's super interesting is that we do all wrestle with it really differently calves jedi like think about attachment in very different way than a lot of my jedi do and i love that like that also not a critique like that's what makes the higher public so cool and I'm, i've mentioned calves specifically because he also deals with a lot of these same questions very much on the page you know in the internal thoughts and i think that's great like we're in conversation you know and like and 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 uh, claudius too right like pulling comac out of um, specifically, you know, out of Into the Shadows and, and putting Comac, like pairing Comac with Cantem was very intentional because I knew that they come from very, very different places. So it was cool to see them struggle and, you know, put them in a position where they would struggle literally in conversation with each other, which is how you get that moment when they're like, okay, Starlight is going down and they need our help, but we are here. What do we do? Right. I will say I really appreciated the diversity of thought within the Jedi. I completely agree that like the Jedi that we see in like the rising storm as compared to this book are like thinking about things differently and it makes it the order feel less like 
it like it feels like a community and not just like right. this kind of like nebulous idea and i really love that and i just love all of the kind of different relationship dynamics that you brought into this book like you said like not even the jedi have these kind of like relationship not issues but like dynamics um right. like like crash's entire arc is about right trusting people right. um and uh, i just i don't know i i love that i love that Comac says to Reith, you're my student. I'm going to create this boundary. Right. You're not taking on my shit. It's important to see that and to like get a chance to understand it. And then the other piece that I think like the question of attachment, right? Or the question of not even attachment, but just like emotion, right? Like I, it, I, I just, I feel so bad for Comac because Comac seems to really feel like you're not supposed to feel things. And he feels that way because there are people within the order who really like push that. And and that's clearly what we want out by the time we get to the prequels. But um, I don't think that's like a very healthy approach, right? And I think that's why you have Cantan being like, you feel things and you release them. You feel them and you release them. And the fact that you feel them again doesn't mean you failed, right? Like that's such a key part of just like life, <laughs> but but it gets away from us and we don't learn, no one teaches you that, right? And and even in like the way sometimes they teach meditation, it's like, you're not supposed to think. And it's like, no, like you think, you have thoughts and you label them as thoughts and you let them go. You have feelings and you label them as feelings and you let them go, right? Like you're not wrong for having them. It's like people, we're so like hard on ourselves. It's not about that. It's like, yeah, okay, I had a thought, let it go. Oh, I had another thought. Oh my God, I have failed. I'm going to meditation hell. Not how it works. That moment between um, Yoda and Kantem where Yoda's like, do you, did you not think it was difficult for me to like let you go live your life? Uh, I admit that was a bit of a gut punch because when Kantem was like, okay, I'm going to go off on my own. And Yoda was like, okay, have a great time with that. I was like, wait a minute. This isn't how we're supposed to do this. This is never how we've ever done this. Um, but seeing that that come full circle was really interesting to me. And I, I also liked it because I was like, Oh, that's why Cantum is the way that they are. Like that, that entire sequence really um, built on their character. But what I guess what I loved about it was Yoda being this sort of perfect model of healthy detachment. Um, because for a character who gets so maligned in the later parts of Star Wars, I was like, no, he's kind of Yas and Slay right now. Like <laughs> he models this, this perfect conception of being able to love something and let it go because he recognizes that for Cantum, the right. best thing to do right now is not to be in the Jedi Order. And also Yoda doesn't frame that as a failure on Cantum's part. Like exactly. Yoda's like, okay, this just might be not, this might not be for you and that's okay. Right. And I'm, I can accept that. Right. Um, clearly that ideology did not survive to the prequel era, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> and also um, just as, as a Jewish person whose culture is so steeped in the concept of having large volumes of diversity of thought and arguments mm -hmm. about text and dogma and faith, et cetera, et cetera. This book exploring that was very interesting. Like you mentioned that moment with Comac and Canton when Starlight Falls. And I reread that section multiple times because their, their separate reactions were really interesting to me of Comac being like, I'm going to collapse and throw up. And Canton being like, I have to be calm right now because I cannot, I cannot control that whatsoever. Like right. I'll put some trust in the universe that everyone that I care about is fine. But aside from that, I'm not able to do it. Uh, and seeing those two reactions literally like physically next to each other was really interesting to me in terms of like Jedi ideology. I really loved that. 
That you know, I never thought of it, but it is like the Torah and the half Torah, right? Like <laughs> responding back and forth. <laughs> There's a little commentary in the side, but I mean, literally, like we, you know, like if the fallen star is the Torah, then Midnight Horizon is the half Torah. Yeah, I can't wait for Rashi to show up in the higher public <laughs> and Maimonides. Um, but to your point, um, it's also that this is a moment I really needed in there is that Cantem, you know, we say like, trust the force all the time. And like, may the force be with you and da 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 And like, I, I feel like there's a misunderstanding uh, even amongst characters that like, that means everything is going to be okay. And Cantem very specifically, and Wreath in another moment, um, you know, there no one is like, everything's going to be okay. Things might be really bad. In fact, they are. And they, they're very aware of that. And Cantem is like, I trust in the force not to make everything all right but to give me the tools that I will need to get through whatever I need to get through. And th those are two like polar opposite things from each other, but like they get very conflated and they kind of fall into one another when we say things like trust in the force. What does that mean? Like what, trust in the force to what? Because Starlight is down. You know what I mean? Like things did not go okay. The force did not save Starlight, um, but what the force can do and what I think a, a Jedi like Kantem is a very aware of is that as they say, like. The, the practice of detachment is meant for exactly moments like these. And that's why it's a practice. <laughs> you know, it's something that you have to try again and again to get. And I think that that's also kind of to go back, like it's the situation vis-a-vis -vis Yoda is very interesting. And I think especially in Midnight Horizon, because as Noah said, like he tends to get maligned a lot. Um, and I think uh, something that we had said was like it's almost like if like a kindergarten teacher got asked to be like the secretary of education overnight in the prequels <laughs> where it's like suddenly he's like i just want to be a cool little teacher and right. like yeah i'll run the order whatever and then they're like okay now you need to fight a war right and he's like cool i'm so unprepared but you know midnight horizon really spells out and especially through yoda like it changes your perspective of yoda as a character in the grand scheme of Star Wars, not just in this book and not just in the higher public, but this informs so much of who he is as a master and as a person. And um, as a doula. Exactly. Um, but it's just really interesting hearing him talk about like letting go in a healthy way and how like, you know, it sort of reaffirms like in the prequels and in a lot of stuff like attachment is and possess attachment leads to possessiveness. And that's right. the problem. Right. And that's like, Anakin wanted to own Padme and that's why that was a problem for them right. it's not that you can't experience love and care and that sort of thing I think this book really like illuminated that and that's also why you know Kantan being in their master's footsteps that little tiny moment that I really wanted to get in there when um, Savino has that stalker <laughs> show up you know they're like they're on bodyguard duty and they're all like okay ready for anyone to attack or whatever and then this freaking stalker from like the college days shows up or whatever high school and it's like i just need me now and Kantem does the little jedi check and it's like go home and think about your entire life and society and what got you to this moment and redo all of that you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, but that's you know it's a small thing but that's attachment right like that's a form of possession and that's exactly what we're trying to like not have happen and you know healthy relationships i had did a full 360 on yoda and this was like the this was the end of that arc like <laughs> like i started out as being like i hate that little green war criminal gremlin if i see him it's hands on sight and like there's people i introduced to star wars and i was like i hate that I hate him so much and then I rewatched the Clone Wars I was showing it to some friends whatever and then I was like 
Oh, I like the Jedi Order. They're victims. Oh no. Oh no, maybe maybe I don't hate them. Like even in the I know we we've been talking about like, oh in the prequel era they're different or whatever, but like mm. I would argue like they're actually not and whatever, but okay. they're not that there there's certain things that actually aren't too different or whatever, and then I'm mm. like, Oh, mm. actually maybe I don't hate him that much whatever and then in this book it was like the end of that and the thing that sealed it for me that i loved very much and something that in star wars is uniquely heartbreaking um was the interactions and you get this a lot in the in the high republic this is something that i love the interactions between um different species with different lifespans mm, so yeah yoda is someone who by definition has to learn how to let go and I think almost by default has like he he has had to learn that um and actually we see that with Briaga as well a little bit mm. um and and I was like oh no <laughs> of like um and it you know how does that shape the the cultures of species that live longer versus ones that don't um and it seems like humans the attachment thing was really kicking their ass while for other ones, like they're used to letting, yeah. loving people and letting them go. Like, you know what? Well, I could argue that Chewbacca is the best Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, it, so that it would, to me, it was like, wow, Yoda has had to do this by default so often. And the thing that I loved very much was you putting in there, like Cantum seeing a little bit Yoda get a little sad about that. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. Clearly, he has had to do that again and again. I'm going to be like, that's that's life. That's how it is. Um, and um, I was like, oh, no. Maybe I don't like Star Wars anymore. I'm very sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's also... Both Yoda and Wookiee characters always make me sad for that reason. But um... the, the Obertuk, the moment that really comes through, I think, in my own work is actually with Obertuk and Farzala when they're, you know, Farzala's thinking, Obertuk is taking a nap, and Farzala's like, "Man, remember, the, remember that time that my master actually gave me the answer to what I was looking for right now in this moment about fear and death." And like, I just feel like if you're really about it, like if you really believe that uh, uh, we go to the forest, then like death sucks because you miss the person but it doesn't it's not the tragedy that i think humans and other short-lived species kind of like make it out to be a lot like instinctively automatically like oh god everything sucks someone died and it's like eh. <laughs> but are you about it about it or are you just saying you know that the, it's cool to join the living force so a big piece of of this was ram and reef's relationship but um, mm -hmm. one thing that i really appreciated was that covering their trauma um mm -hmm. and something i've noticed a lot is in general like in sci-fi stories or just in adventure stories in general and this often happens in star wars like just l after l happens <laughs> to a kid child characters adult characters and we never really have time to address that thing and you'll often see like the hurt comfort genre is real big in uh fan fiction because people are like when are we going to process that it was really interesting that we uh that you chose to focus on that for both of them like where are they at right, right. now and um and specifically these two characters um especially because one of them is a little bit younger than the other mm -hmm. um because it's a franchise about war and we mm -hmm. also we also have child soldiers a lot mm -hmm. <laughs> in star wars right. um and so 
I guess, what was your approach to shaping their reactions, like, specifically for each character? And was it something, like, hey, we want to address this because, you know, it's Star Wars, not Star Peace. Um, Is it was like, was this something you wanted to focus on in general with the Luminous authors? Or is that just something that, like, you personally find interesting? No, I think we all do it. Um, Justine is the one that comes to mind first, um, but I think all of us do it, you know, in different ways. And that's what's so cool about it is just like with the force, like, you know, all the characters also do with their trauma different. I think when we st- were starting out, we were seeing it with the force much more so because it was kind of a peacetime at the beginning and now everyone's all fucked up and we're like seeing what that looks like for everybody, all the different Jedi, all the different characters across the board. Ram, especially being so young, you know, I thought it was really important to deal with that, that he really just, his whole arc is about getting tossed into the fire and not really wanting to. Someone pointed, I can never remember who, but someone pointed out how he's like, his arc and his whole vibe is like the anti-Luke Skywalker, because he's like, I really just want to sit in my garage in my provincial little backwater planet and do my thing. And Luke is like, I must go out and fight the empire. And it's like, chill, farm boy, you know, like, in a good way, like just chill mechanic. Like Ram is like, I just just let me be a mechanic, right? And and that's cool. Um, but he can't be because it's not cool because then I'll show up on his front doorstep, right? And so he gets thrown into the action in a very opposite way from Luke. And like you know, it sucks. Like it's hard for him. You know? and, and I think it, in some ways, crafting their two narratives was about cross, crafting a narrative that we're going to crafting two arcs that were going to be in contrast to each other, much like with Cantem and Comac, right? So. I knew that these two were going to be together and I knew I had relative freedom to kind of figure out where they were going to start and where they were going to end. Um, and I wanted those those things to be like, to make sense in conversation, right? So with Wreath, it's so much more a teenage thing of just being like, what is my path? Where am I going? I, I very literally like took the last beat um, of Claudia's book and used it as the first one of, of Wreath's. Not that, you know, he, he obviously goes through a lot in Justina's work. Um, but it's, he just gets his ass kicked so much. <laughs> but it's it's less in terms of an arc and in, in from that point um, and more in terms of the journey that he's on in that specific book. And I really wanted to take him from this place to, this was a moment that really just spoke to me as like, you know, this this notion of his, it's like he really implants himself in like, this is my path as a Jedi. And, and that seemed like a really useful moment to shake him up, right? And to be like, well, what does that path look like? What does it mean to have a path? We don't, none of us really have a path except the one we make, right? But that's a journey that you have to figure out literally by making that path, right? And um, and that that tracks so well with someone who doesn't feel anything and whose response to trauma is to shut down entirely and just not feel because feeling is so complex, right? It's, it's not just that it feels bad, it's that it, sometimes it feels good and feeling good feels bad and all of those different things, right? So it's very natural, I think, for someone like Ram to just be like, you know what, we're just not gonna feel without making the conscious decision. And in fact, being very uncomfortable with that decision because when it, then he's like, wait, I don't feel anything. What the hell, right? And that's, that's what we do. And so, you know, and it gives us this beat of like him then feeling too much. And then Wreath being like, you know, this really important truth that we also just, I think, miss a lot, which is that you cannot actually find balance without going too far in both directions. You can't. We think of balance as this like perfectly poised, you know, figure meditating or something, right? And like nothing rocks them and they're just, everything is great. And like, you don't get there without going too far. That's just not how balance works, like not physically and not emotionally or anything else. So, you know, and sometimes you need someone to step in and just say that to you. And that's that's literally all that happens. So the wreath is like, look, you are imbalanced, but that doesn't mean that you're not finding balance. 
and that's what you have to do. And once you know that, then you can do it. You know, like it doesn't mean it's easy. You just snap your fingers and it happens. But at least you now know which direction you're going, you know, and, and what to look for. Um, and that's what it is. I think something that I noticed that this conversation is reminding me of is when Wreath talks about how he fell in out of the shadows when he woke up and was not with his master or his right. friends and he was like, oh, I was terrified. I right. think that's like, it's really interesting to kind of touch on where he was and like where he is now. Exactly. Um, but I think the other thing too is Wreath kind of has this like older brother energy to Ram. Right. And I think we see that character arc and that type of archetype a lot, but it's not super often that we see that older brother character also not know what they're doing. Right. Like, which I thought was like really cool. Cause it's saying like, Hey, there's a huge pervasive theme of like, Oh, well, two people, one is the mentor and one is the mentee. And this is a huge theme in this book is that both have somewhat something to learn from mm-hmm. each other. So yeah, yeah, I just thought that was really cool. When you mentioned, um, being able to find balance, you have to go to one extreme and the other extreme. And then you were talking about, oh, we've never really had that like older brother character who's also struggling. I was like, oh, he's Obi-Wan. Um, because <laughs> um, with Obi-Wan, especially in the Clone Wars, you see him, he 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 goes to both extremes. Like he's very mm-hmm. like, I am on the side of the light. I am a member of the council. I'm this and that. And then he goes to like, I am this close from murdering Maul. <laughs> I am, I am at my tolerable limit. It. um and like he's he he goes on his different things and and eventually he's like you know pinnacle of the jedi you know pinnacle of balance like you know all these kinds of things and he's able to do that because he vacillates back and forth but he right. also is that um hey i i don't know what i'm doing because right. i'm i'm the older other brother um another favorite white boy <laughs> Wreath following, he followed in Wreath's footsteps. Right, without even knowing it. I can't with that. I feel like so often in narratives where characters are like, I don't know what to do, they figure it out in a hundred, in a couple hundred pages. And then by the end of it, they're like, cool, I'm ready to go. And Wreath's conclusion being like, actually, I think I might have to spend the rest of my life figuring this whole direction <laughs> thing out. Right. Uh, was really nice. I will say, I mean, you know, ever people found their paths in this book and Comac found his into the woods. And that that happens sometimes. But I I really appreciated um, his ability to be like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. I'm just going to do my best. And I was like, OK, you know, this ending works for me. I felt like by the yeah. end he was actually ready to be a knight. And so when that happened, I was like, this is deserved. This this makes sense. He's come to a, a good place. And then Comac pulled an Edward Cullen and sprinted into the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually one of the first things I asked. Um, I kind of checked in about when I was, when I realized that Reef was going to be a major character in this book was the, can we knight him at the end of it? Um, and again, I hit up Claudia and I hit up the team and I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. Claudia, I just want to make sure you didn't have plans just like with Ray, but in forward looking way, you know, I was like, I just wanted to make sure you didn't have plans for that knighting to happen in one of your stories or what that would look like, or, you know, just let me know. And she was like, go to town, kid. And so was everyone else. And and that really just made sense. Like that's just, he's earned it, first of all. Um, he He's fought really hard, both internally and externally. Like I said, he's gotten his ass kicked through three entire books, like on multiple levels. He's fallen in love with literally everybody, you know, and just, with the, with someone said it's like the Trinity of- Every queer woman <laughs> right. he meets, he falls <laughs> in love with. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's a, a, an ace Jedi, right? <laughs> like, 
you just it's just not it's sir sir a nile and, and a super gay bodyguard like it, maybe just give up it's a good thing he's a jedi right like it's not even just go just go be a jedi <laughs> like reese i'm begging you to learn something about yourself here and recognize that the type of person you keep being attracted to has one important detail involved zero for three he just likes girl bosses, okay? And I, I relate that. to that. Yeah, same. But damn. Uh, but yeah, no, um, the, the, the concept behind Reese's arc is really this um, poem that has really guided me that says, you know, there is no path. You make the path by walking. And that's always been just a very, like, crucial um, line for me. Like, whether it's in life or in writing, it's something I always end up teaching, you know, when I'm teaching writing. And it's just a reality, like, that we you know don't talk enough about but once you kind of think that way and and see it and i have to constantly remind myself that's part of why it's in there you know but like i feel like it's very freeing to realize that um and not i think there's a understanding of it that's like oh it means you just go do nothing but like clearly that's not the case right and uh, i think it means you honor the fact that there is no path <laughs> it's just about looking at reality for what it is and understanding that you need a machete you know to find to make that path and that's just you know, it's it's not a mistake that after he has that realization, he looks down and Kenton and Comac are literally chopping through the Nile lines with their lightsabers, like making their path by walking it in the most violent possible way. <laughs> this is kind of off topic, um, mm-hmm. but in this book, another like main POV character uh, is Kantem Sai. Um, what led you to having them be one of the main perspectives of this book um, and like their their story in this because in the in the uh, high republic adventures comics you know they've been there um kind of a you know as lula's master but like having this kind of deeper exploration of them yeah in part it was knowing that a that a, a book is a perfect way to do that you know Cantem is a character i've always wanted to explore more deeply and i wasn't sure when or what the opportunity would be but uh and looking at this book it was you know uh, from the jump, there's always going to be a, a multitude of voices, and that's something I love about Star Wars books in general is that we get all these different POVs, and it's always kind of exciting to figure out who's going to be the POV in each book. Um, I really wanted <clears throat> some of them really basic, like, you know, of course, we're going to have Wreath in there, like, continuing in, in the trilogy and, and him playing a major role in stuff. And for me, Ram is really particular pulling him from the middle grade, and, and I just love him. And then Zine, obviously Zine. Um, you know, with Cantem, it was like, I really wanted a moment, a thread really, throughout this book to take us outside of it a little bit and deal with some of the things that were happening more thematically and less plot-wise. And so having a character that is really set in their adulthood in terms of their coolness and their like got it togetherness, you know, but then using that character to jump backwards and, and find a time when they were absolutely chaotic and a total disaster in the best possible way um, felt like a really good opportunity to both like thematically talk about stuff take us out of the action a little bit and then I also really wanted to bring in a different writing style and have something much more kind of flourishy and romantic and and kind of free-flowing and so for that section like I really didn't know where it was going to go I really went into it just being like well you know let's find out what happened we can't have I knew there was going to be a gap here but I didn't know what that would look like or um, any of that so I let it I let it kind of flow as I went which was very gratifying because the rest of the book was very planned out, you know, very architected and, and figured out. And I really went in with like, okay, I need all these pieces. And it had to be, right? All those different elements at play, it was a necessity. So with Cantam, it was almost my way to just be like, every time I'll come up to one of those sections, like, you know, let's find out, right? I, I knew that by nature of 
who they are and the moment of their life that we were dealing with, it was going to touch on what was coming for Comac and what was already in the play, in play for Lula. And so it was kind of natural. So it really allowed me to, to just free flow it, which is what I did. Um, and of course, like them being a non-binary Jedi who's a human, it, like is really important. And I wanted to get, you know, them on the page as much as possible because of that in part, you know, and so they weren't just like some badass in the background, right? And like just, or just some cool figure that we don't really ever get to know personally. Um, and then finally, I really wanted them to be deep in the midst of the action and like have those, the, I knew there was a huge action moment or moment, <laughs> year long battle. Um, you know, this huge battle that happens overnight. I knew that was coming and I just wanted to see like Kentensai action hero, like just in the thick of it and like going through it and swinging that lightsaber and like kicking ass, but also having that moment come at the tail end of such an emotional journey, even though it happened so long ago, um, was really kind of what I think made it all work. It works so well alongside the Bake Off um, because like <laughs> right. we see in Higher Public Adventures, we see Cantum do a lot of very cool things, right. but seeing like in the Bake Off, that's one of the first times we really see them display that type of right. hands-on heroism. Right. So seeing that balanced with what we see in Midnight Horizon is really cool. And it really like establishes what kind of character and what kind of Jedi they are in like like, I feel like they're super developed in a considering how long, how many higher public books, how many pages there are, right. like in, in a considerably shorter amount of time than a lot of other characters. So I think like they, their essence has really been captured. I think that's really cool. It's good. And then the other thing I, I want to say was the first thing we know about them actually from Race to Crash Point Tower is that they're incredibly badass when it comes down to it, but they're extremely calm in every other moment, right? <laughs> I just wrote that because I thought it sounded cool. And then I wrote it and I read back on it. And I was like, now I have to show them being really bad at it, which isn't a bad thing, but you know, that's part of why I wanted to make sure we did get that in there in phase one is like, because that you're basically making a promise with a statement like that, right? And, and if you just leave it there, it's like, I guess we have this badass Jedi, but we never get to see it play out. So pairing it with the the bake off is so funny to me because that means that um cantum's i don't know coping mechanism is just telling little stories um like canonically cantum is just like that person who's like oh so like this one time um always has this bad shit story for everything and i, I do love that um because there's always there's always that person in a friend group um uh and it's clear that 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 was Cantum's little coping mechanism. They they were like, so anyway, uh, instead of listening to a podcast, what if I just tell you this crazy story? <laughs> when are Cantum and Torben Buck getting a podcast? That's the next hire. That's what I want for Phase Three. If there's one thing you hope people take away from this book, what would it be? It's uh, a tough question. That's a great question. I, you know, I think the main essence of it can come down to the idea of facing the world for what it is and not what you want it to be and not what you fear it to be, right? And, and that includes, by the world, I include the self, right? And I think mostly we see that in terms of the self. Um, in all of the character arcs, they're required sometimes violently to really look at themselves and deal with what they're dealing with and not like turn themselves into some fake, you know, doesn't feel anything Jedi or, you know, whatever they're not, but they think they're supposed to be like, none of that works, right? So throw it all out deal with what's in front of you, deal with what's inside you and take it from there. And then on a kind of a quieter background way, I think we see a lot of people dealing with things like the threat of the Nile, 
by not dealing with them, by hoping that they're not so bad or by like pretending that that's a outer rim problem and the outer rim and the, and the core worlds are separated when that's not true, right? All those things are in there, you know, one level or another. And there it's, we see over and over that it is a fatal mistake to pretend things aren't the way they are. Um, that's true of history, that's true of personhood, that's true of emotions, that's true of politics, um, that's true across the board. And ultimately I hope people see you know, folks struggling with it, not necessarily knowing how to do it, but struggling with it actively. And that is actually how you do it, is that you struggle with it and it doesn't always work. And sometimes you fail and that's part of that journey and then you do it again, right? And sometimes you do it and you and it works and you still have to do it again. And that doesn't mean you fail. And here we are. Is there somewhere else, like where else can people find you and what else have you been working on oh, that's yeah, coming up you. exciting? Yes, well, I gave all my um, socials at the, at the top of it. Um, I think Twitter is my most active one. I haven't had time to do TikToks recently. I do enjoy TikTok a lot, but I haven't done any. Um, but yeah, mostly you can find updates about me on Twitter. Uh, my website, danielhoseolder.net, has all of my books. Uh, it also has links to some classes I taught online on a site called Skillshare, where I teach about narrative fundamentals and things like that. That can be super helpful. It also has my blog from back when I was a medic, um, which is kind of how I started writing. If that's interesting to you, my next book, my next book is a young adult novel called Ballad and Dagger. Here is the arc of it. That's not the final cover, but I'm really excited about it. It comes out from Rick Riordan's imprint. It's his first YA. It's their first YA. Um, it is all the things you love about Rick Riordan books, but um, browner and in Brooklyner. <laughs> so, um, and that's not a knock because <laughs> Rick is amazing at including lots of different characters. So bless him. Um, but yeah, it's, it's got pirates and true love and demons and gods and everything else. And, uh, it's really a book that's like very much who I am, obviously because I'm a pirate. So thank you all Party. for having me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much for talking coming. with you all. My pleasure. We'll do it again. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank right. you. See you later. Take care everybody. See you Bye. later. Bye. Thank you so much again to Danny Jose Older um, for coming on to our, our gay little podcast. Um, we really appreciate it. It means a lot. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us this week for RuPaul's Pod Race. Episodes usually drop on Sundays. For updates, Star Wars news, and more cursed shit, follow us on social media at RuPaul's Pod Race on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you really love the show, please rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Spotify, or Overcast. It means a lot to us. May the force be with you, and don't perf it up. For life, for life and life. 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 <laughs>